Last week, um, you know, this year we've been in a year of reformation, uh, coming to the point of uh, looking at how God wants to reshape us back to his original plan. You know, there's a version of you that God had in mind at this time in your life, and uh, we recognize that we may not be it. So we're asking the Father to assist us in being reshaped and reconformed, reconfigured, transformed, and transfigured into what he had in mind in the year 2023, so that by 2024, we find ourselves by his mercy and grace resembling more of what he wanted us to be. Because yes. <clears throat> our God is a living God. He's a living God. That means he has an idea currently, presently. He's not just outside of time, but he is the one that chose to actually engage in time. I digress. I'm getting all in some kind of stuff that's for next year. I, I can't help myself. <laughs> Studying uh, very hard about some things scientifically. For those of you that were here, you remember the Salt and Light series um, back in the day. There's a lot of math and a lot of science. And my attempt this year is as there have been new scientific discoveries that further substantiate and prove God um, and his existence, um, I want to know him so clearly that I don't have to take you through the rigmarole of all of the equations that we did <laughs> last year. Amen. So last week, last Sunday, we looked at habits. How did you do on your habits? Uh, were you able to keep the habit that you needed to keep for seven days? Show of hands. High, high, seven days, high. Okay, all right, let me put those down. Were you able to not do the habit that you needed not to do for seven days? Has hands high, hands high. Now I asked all of y'all to list them. And I, either you didn't list it, which was disobedience, or you just absolutely failed. This is the part I don't understand. Because if this, if this is just a small gathering, a small percentage of our church, right, because everybody's not here, then if this trend is true, then the ones that are not here also did not do what they needed to do and did what they weren't supposed to do by way of the message on last week. That's, that's tough. That's tough, because what we're telling ourselves, and, and I believe, I, mean, I believe that renew is the best of the best. I believe that my babies is the best babies any church has ever had. I do, I do, I do. I think that every other church wish they had members like my members. I do, I do, I do. And now I'm stuck looking at a bunch of hands not raised. Thinking we can't even go seven days with a good habit and can't go seven days without a bad habit. Did y'all think I wasn't gonna ask? I asked on Wednesday night. And then we had more hands on Wednesday than we do currently, which means somebody fell off between Wednesday and Sunday. <laughs> Hello, I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're at church. So you had the, the sense that if I can't do what I ain't supposed, if I can't do what I'm supposed to do and not do what I'm not supposed to do, I need to take myself to church Amen. in hopes that the spirit of the Lord might empower me <laughs> to live right which is in essence what those habits represent, your attempt to live right. Amen. 
The Bible says that God is holy. And hello. And we are to be holy because he is holy. Now, this is, is problematic, in my opinion, because I know that I cannot be holy in of myself. But we are the children of the promise in that we have the spirit of the Lord that will assist us to live rightly, knowing that there's not enough good things that we could possibly do that could earn our salvation. And that's not why we do it. We live right because God has been so good to us. And we know that we have the responsibility of living the gospel so that others might see Christ. Amen. I had a, had a, you know, our last week we tried to have a musician. And we want to talk about how that didn't go well financially. Um, but he was mentioning to me, uh, I think he got his religions a little crisscrossed in between, you know, Islam and Christianity. I don't know if maybe he thought that they were somehow related to one another. They are not. But what he asked me was, why is it that the brothers in Islam um, and their form of, of, of Christianity could be, I said their form of who? Their form of Christianity. Okay, never mind. How is it that they, after I'd explained that they were not Christian in any way, shape, or form, how is it that they seem to have more discipline than Christian believers? And I was thinking, they don't. And then I came in here and asked you these questions. And now I'm perplexed because it would appear as if even the power of the God Almighty in your soul can't help you to do what you're supposed to do and not do what you ain't supposed to do. I began to think that you might think that somehow this life is a game. That you got more lives to live, you know, like, you, ooh, I lost a life. Press the button, bleep, bleep, bleep. You're back on the screen again. It does not work that way. You only got one, this one. This one right here in this time and space is all you get right now. But this life determines your forever life. You only get one shot at this. Amen. You only get one shot at this. What a waste <clears throat> our lives would be without discipline. Because God is a God of multiplication and productivity. He creates so that we can make. So he gives you a talent and he asks you at the end, what have you done? How have you increased this talent? Discipline is a necessity to increase anything good in your life. I can't re-preach habits today. I got somewhere else to go. But the idea that most of the church can't make it seven days. And if this is a, rep a representation of the actual body of Christ, <clears throat> you was anointed for it. You prayed, anointed you to do you. You got the spirit of the Lord in you. Life is going to be hard regardless. You know that, don't you? At least we could work towards production rather than letting the enemy just come in and steal every good thing that can come from us. Y'all are too smart, too bright, too funny, some of you. Except for Tori, no, put your hand down. I don't care what she said, you is corny. Y'all is too attractive. Hello? Too compassionate, too loving, and too kind 
to have zero discipline because none of that good stuff comes out without it. And the entire body of Christ looks like a bunch of hypocrites. Oh, you thought that you had no responsibility, no obligation to the rest of us. Which leads me right to my topic for today. I couldn't more y'all raise your hands. I'd hope this was going to be a fun message. <laughs> today we're going to look at Reformation. Through. Before I tell you that, you know. Me and Mother Bell were talking the other day about a problem that came up on, in the church this week. And she called to encourage me, you know. She said, I can feel your pain. I know how bad you must have felt with all of that, and, and yet you just keep pressing. And I said, thank you, Mother Bell. She said, well, maybe you do need to preach on that particular topic. And I told her, I said, no, Mother Bell, I'm not going to change the topic. I don't know what it is this weekend, but I do know that I don't want to mess with whatever the Lord has lined up for us. I said, if by way there's a chance to, to touch on that information because of the topic, then I will. But if not, we're just going to have to let the Lord have his way. Um, come to find out the topic is very much so related <laughs> to everything that we need to talk about today. On last Sunday, we brought in 300 and what, 75 total, approximately 300, and not 300,000, 375 decimal point zero zero. No commas. That's what we brought in last Sunday. That is 2% of what we typically bring in on a Sunday. For those of you that were here Wednesday, you already got this speech. And then this message, this, this amount that I've never seen before in the history of our church, and we have the largest amount of people in the history of our... This math ain't mathing. Somebody's not carrying the one. That means we've done more with seven people than we're doing with all of you put together on a consistent basis. 300 and something dollars. $300 won't even pay your rent. Let alone run a whole business. It won't do it, will it? Absolutely not. Some of y'all spend that much money in food, according to the EBIT. You spend that much money in just food alone. If you don't know what the ebbet is, the Lord has blessed you. He has blessed you in your life. You don't need to know what that's for pavos. You don't need to know what that is. But we spend more in our belly than we do at you guys. In essence, it, it appeared as if some people did nothing on Sunday. That they really felt like they can just come into church. Sit down on now padded, comfortable seats. Some of y'all don't even know what we had before this. Oh, my goodness. Soak up what little AC that we do have as we keep buying new fans and new AC units. Listen to music, sounds from heaven, just, oh, they just singing. Na, 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 na. And you get a preached word, new, fresh manna, every Sunday. No rehearsed message that I pull back from my stash and say, oh, I'm going to hit them with that one again because that was a goodie and an oldie. No, I seek the Lord. Hello, somebody ushers, usher you right onto your seats. Do you need some water? Finance team, here's the basket, the media curtain, cue the slide. They put the words up on the screen so you won't have to look stupid not knowing the words to the songs. And you just enjoy all of this, and you brought nothing in the house of the Lord. 
And it can't be that you didn't have it. Because you eat. You eat. I would prefer to buy somebody's lunch that I know gave in tithes and offerings than somebody that kept tithes and offerings in order to buy their own lunch. I've never seen this before, as I explained on Wednesday. It's unheard of here. This church has always been the most givingest church for our size under heaven. Some people just come in, they think it's okay, right? Because you got to be a good steward. A good steward of what? God's money? You're going to be a good steward of God's money, and that means that you can't give too much in the offering. I don't manipulate you. I don't say, oh, ain't nobody leaving because you, you give up that money. Okay, I hear the Lord say, $200. No, I don't do none of that. I don't ask you to sow a seed for a word of prophecy. You get that regardless. Preach, oh, pastor, you need to have a deliverance service. I said, my babies can get delivered anytime they come in the door. The altar is always open. And the same thing I do evangelizing out there, the same thing I do with them every single Sunday. We don't have to have a special service for a special anointing so that we can hear the voice of the Lord. It's not necessary. Now, I said on last Wednesday, I was going to pull the tithe reports. I wanted to know who's doing what and who ain't. But I didn't have time. <laughs> I had no time. Thursday was my mother's um, birthday, and I wasn't in the mindset to do it. Couldn't wrap my mind around it, and then I just didn't want to. I didn't want to be disappointed by certain individuals that I know have jobs. I didn't want to know who you are. I don't want to know your face. I don't even check finance reports. I run them, I seal them, and I give them to the finance department so that I won't feel some sort of way about some people that I'm sure smile in my face every day and come into the house. Now, do you know how this house got here? Through blood, sweat, and tears. Somebody had to take the biggest leap of faith and sign their name to a lease agreement. It was not you. Yeah. They had to take faith to say, that, that day is me, okay, to say that I believe God is making a house for somebody like you. Yeah. Put it all on the line. Year after year, still no salary. Year after year, whatever the people can give, whatever we can spare is what I'll take. Year after year after year, going on 10 years. And the only thing I asked you to do was take care of this house. That's it. This is where my life's work is. And I believe you are a recipient of that. Not just in the house and the preached word, but personally and individually. So now I'm taking it personal. Because you'd watch me suffer and die, put my mortgage money up, and you still, having money in your pocket, won't even, won't even give 5 or $10, 20 25 and you know you got more than that. You feel like it's okay to actually sit in here with nothing to give. There's never been a time where you needed anything that I did not show up by the grace of God and do all that I could. And you'll think you can walk in here and have nothing. I mean, why don't you borrow money from somebody to give tithes and offerings since you borrow money for everything else? They said, Pastor, you need to teach on giving. I said, I don't teach on giving. I believe that if you love God and love his people, the generosity of their hearts will just show up. But y'all might be a different group. 
always thought, because we started with people that were loyal, faithful. Those that said, God is going to do something amazing here. And they would give all that they had. And see, maybe because of the size, I don't, we ain't even that big. Maybe because you see there was other people you felt like you didn't have to follow in the same footsteps and giving all that you have in order to keep this thing going. See, you may not have to give all that you have if you had more. But since we work with very little, then that means we have to give so much. And that, dear children, is called a sacrifice, which is... The topic for today. Reformation through sacrifice. Brother Wright, the interesting part about this is at the top of the year, December of last year, I sat down and asked the Lord for what our focus would be this year. It was reformation. And in December of last year, we went and walk, I walk, wrote down with the Lord 52 messages, topics, one for every year. I mean, one for every week of the year. And so far, every topic fits perfectly for what's going on in this house. So even when I don't want to push giving, the Lord has something to say to you, dear children, regarding sacrifice. Come on and bless the name of the Lord. Not sacrificing uh, is counterintuitive to everything that Christianity represents. Giving is something that the world completely understands. The world understands giving. Would you like to donate a dollar for the Breast Cancer Association? Would you like to give 50 cents for the Habitat for Pets Association? Would you like to? The world understands giving. What they don't understand is sacrifice, which is what we're supposed to do very well. Amen. Amen, Amen. Amen. I mean, hear me out. How would you feel if you gave sacrificially every day? Every day you poured out all that you could, all that you had. You heard a need and you did it. The church has a need, you're there. Hello, somebody. You wiped out your savings, whatever it is. Now, I know this may sound strange to people in the world. Good. This is not the world I'm talking to. Because whatever I have in my savings belongs to the Father. And I made that very clear when I first started this church. But you want to be secular, huh? You want to make sure you have something for when you retire? Is that what you want to make sure you do? You don't even know if you're going to live that long. And do you really think if you sacrifice your savings unto the Father that he won't make sure you have everything you need plus some anytime you needed it? But just hear me out. How would you feel, Sister AJ, if you gave everything that you had consistently amongst the group only to find that they weren't doing the same, that people were keeping things for themselves, holding it back for a rainy day. There is no other rainier day than your church not being open. Sure ain't. Now you right. You right. Ain't no rainier day than that. Not at all. Not one as good as ours. Maybe some of the other ones, you know, tomato, tomato. That's a rainy day. When we went on the retreat, people said, oh, Pastor, we thought we had money problems. We shouldn't go on the retreat. I said, we shouldn't. But the Lord has never been slack as it pertains to giving the best to our babies. And you are our babies. If the babies need a chance to, to pull into the Father, 
to put down the cell phones, to pray, to learn, to fellowship, then that's exactly what's on the heart of God. And somebody had to believe against all odds. Y'all saw it against all odds that that's what the father wanted. And then he proved that's exactly what he wanted. So I, I interviewed musicians in hopes that, you know, we're going to be right where we need to be. Because typically, when you see the amount of sacrifice put into something, the amount of backbreaking, literally, sacrifice, the amount of money poured in, because you know how much you paid was not enough to cover that trip, that you would then say, as soon as you got your check for the next several months, it's going right to the church. Oh, no. How would you feel, AJ, if you found out that the same folk kept stuff while you out here emptying out everything you had? Huh? You feel what? Hurt. It's a good way to put it. I don't feel hurt. I feel indignant. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not that personally offended, truly, because I understand what it means to be where you are, to have a hard time giving. Emotionally, you're attached to money. But if you would have came to the financial workshops, you would have learned that if you don't separate yourself from an emotional attachment to money, you'll always be poor. Yeah. Every financial guru says the first lesson they tell their, their protege is to give. Find something and give, and give a lot to it. Because once you give all, even for the world, and you build from that, you're not afraid to lose anything because scared money don't make money. So even the world knows that you have to separate your emotional attachment to money in order to take the types of risks that are necessary in the finance world. Yeah. Now here in the kingdom, we have Jehovah Jireh. The God that makes bread out of air. Just the God that makes water come from a very hard place called a rock. This is the God we serve, so we know that if we risk, it's not really a risk, it's faith, that we'll still be taken care of. This is what we should know about our God, but we are more stingy than the world is. Jesus. You really feel like the first lesson the Lord wants you to learn is balance, and that balance financially means how to make sure you have what you need. Okay, let's look at these voice of the martyrs again. Let's understand really what balance means in the kingdom of God because you're trying to bring in some type of secular mindset into the kingdom and it's not working, all right? Because some of us give all that we have and all that we can. So it's not nice, kind. And I know some of y'all had crappy families. Maybe people in your family did this, right? But here, we're trying to get rid of that. We want to know that everybody is doing all that they can. Every person is doing all that they can. Can you imagine what our church would look like if every person that's actually a member did all that they possibly could? Number one, 300 something dollars would not be a problem right now. It just wouldn't. I've prayed for you guys to get jobs, go back to school, and now you want to tell me that the money that we prayed that you would get, now you want to have good balance on your finances. If everybody thinks somebody's going to do it, then nobody does it. Yeah. Yeah. 
If everybody thinks that somebody's going to kick up the slack or pick up the slack, then nobody picks up the slack. You shouldn't do it for that. You should do it because that's the kind of person you want to become. Somebody that is faithful of God's money. And faithful means do whatever he wants you to do with it. And you cannot tell me that the Lord did not want you to give money to his church. Not this church. Maybe them bad churches. Maybe them churches that did terrible stuff. Maybe them churches that wasn't honest or legit with their money. Maybe them, but not this one. And it'd be different if we didn't have testimony after testimony of how God blessed abundantly when people had the heart and mind to give. Put your hands up so people can see it. Abundantly. Uh, just over, overwhelmingly. Right. Right. So I don't even know. I don't, I don't even know. You got witness. You got the word. And you should have a love and a passion for your own. Ch- it's your church. Ain't nobody going to take care. Of, we are not going to be ever be a 501c3. That is not going to happen. Because wherever you get the government's money, the government controls it. That's not going to happen. This is your church. Yours. Now we're thinking about things that we can't do for the community in January for our 10-year anniversary and our free yard sale that we want to have because looking at our finances, we're not even sure if we can handle that. How many people got jobs? Raise your hand. Put your hands down. God, take it. Put your your hands down. (laughs) There used to be a time when more than 50% of our church couldn't raise their hand. In an economy like this, the majority of my church raised their hand. In the midst of a recession, the majority of this church raised their hand and said that they are gainfully employed, and you don't even think that if God say, I need all of that, you're supposed to give all of that. Oh, heaven forbid that you go without. The Lord doesn't want me to be behind in my bills but he want his church to be behind in its bills. Because that's what we are. The Sunday we got $375, an unheard of offering in the history of our church. The same Wednesday I had to meet with the property owner. Do you know the kind of stress that your lack of giving puts people under? To sit knowing that you've got to pay these people back for the years of leniency that they gave us during COVID and after COVID when Mother Hudson died and and going on to these past two years, two years of leniency they gave us. And they said, it's time to pay up, Pastor Durham. I can't be mad. They're right. I can't be angry. They gave us so much mercy and grace. But in my heart, I'm looking at it and in my mind going, we brought in 370 something dollars on a Sunday morning. I'm in there sweating, glistening, practically crying because they know my mom. So now I'm all emotional. It's the day before my mom's birthday. We don't have any money on Sunday. They're asking for more money that we don't have. With the largest amount of members we've ever had. For months, I kept telling them, we just got some new members. Let it give them a chance to get settled. Our church is going to a good place. Let's give them a chance to get settled. Give them a chance to get settled. Now they're like, Are they settled yet? And this man tells me, well, maybe you need to teach a church about giving. Do you know how embarrassing that is? For somebody else to tell me what I need to train my children to do? You don't even know my children. Maybe they should spend less at Starbucks. Ho, 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 ho. You don't know. They they do what they're supposed to do. Did I come in here today? No, they is not doing what they're supposed to do. 
I know you want me to let it go. And for the givers, you probably say, keep going. And the only people that want me to let this go is the people that have a hard time giving. You want me to move on to something else. Because the people that give, like, please, Pastor, get everybody together so that we could, so that what we're giving can actually do more. Rather than just trying to make up the difference. We're, we're, we're not even, they ask for more money. Reformation through sacrifice. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. When you get to Romans, just stay there for a second. Genesis records the very first sacrifice. All right. Somewhere around Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve took some fig leaves and they recovered themselves after they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, to which they were not supposed to eat. And this brought death. Right? Now, this was a consequence of eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So when they realize now that they're naked, vulnerable, unprotected, that their shame is now existing in their persons, they try to cover it up with fig leaves. They run and hide from the very God that made them and chose to fellowship with them. Now they're hiding because they didn't do something right. In the midst of all this, God takes an animal, presumably kills the animal, in order to give them the skin to cover their naked bodies. This had got to have been the most traumatic thing they've ever seen. For God to take his own creation and slaughter it so that you have something to cover your sin with. The, thing, the covering of your sin was an unnecessary thing had you been obedient. But now, the sweet little innocent animal that ain't doing nothing to nobody, just being an animal, just deering along or buffaloing along, just minding its own business, and now it's got to die. Having done no wrong, so that you could have the privilege of your sin covered. So there might be an opportunity for you to speak with the same God that is holy that you just disqualified yourself from speaking with. Something innocent has to die. Of course, this is the pre-shadow to the Lamb of God. It's the pre-shadow to Moses and the lost, and it's the pre-shadow to Christ himself. The wages of sin is death. We get that a little bit misconstrued. It's not that there is a bartering system. It's that there is a consequence. It's a consequence. There's a consequence to sin. And under the realm of sin, before this, we were in the realm of life. Right? All we knew was life. Living and multiplying and tending and because they were in Eden, and then they were in a garden placed in Eden. And outside of the garden placed in Eden was nothing but territory and land that had not been prepared at all for, for growth. And they were safe there as they began to extend 
what was in the garden throughout Eden and eventually throughout the rest of the world, similar to the rivers that flowed from the Garden of Eden. That was the idea. But we decided to get smart. See something that we think we need and decided of ourselves that we should protect ourselves and get what we need above and beyond what the Father says that we need. Maybe you're really noble in your thoughts. Maybe you think, well, I wasn't thinking above and beyond. I was just thinking that the Lord probably want me to do this because he placed it right here. And that when he said don't do it, it was just like, he didn't really mean don't do it. I don't know what, how you reason these things, but nevertheless, you reasoned it. So now something innocent has to die. Now Adam and Eve are in the realm of death. They were in the area of life. Now they're in the area where there's death. What we're going to look at next year is why those two realms are intrinsically important, both scientifically and theologically. Now they're in a realm of death. You're in the ocean or you're out of the ocean. When you're in the ocean, there are certain ways to live in the ocean. When you're out of the ocean, there's certain ways to live out of the ocean. Hello? If you're in the ocean, you got your little bubble suit on, got your little helmet on, you take that helmet off, you're going to die. You shall surely die, you take that helmet off. Yes? Because there's certain rules that comes into living here. Yes? And it's not punishment that you died, is it? It's not punishment. It's the consequence of being in that realm. Yes? Amen? Amen? It was a graphic demonstration of the nature of their sin. Because they sinned and now had to be clothed and covered, that covering was only accomplished by the shedding of blood, a metaphor for their spiritual death and a foreshadowing of things to come. Unlike other deities that we see show up in the history of man, where the people have to appease an angry God, that is not the purpose of sacrifices with our God. Yeah. Other gods had to be appeased, offer sacrifices so that they might give you favor. If you want fertility, then appease this God. If you want finances, appease this God. Do you understand? Yeah. That is not why we sacrifice. Believers sacrifice because at the old, in the Old Testament that they might be in relationship with God. We're doing what he asked us to do because he wants to be with us. Not appeasing him so that we can get what we want, which is what the gospel has become in the modern African-American church. I go to church so I can appease God. I give my tithes and offerings so, I, so he can bless me. You know, we got, we got sayings like, you, you sow, in this, you sow in, this, in this ground, it's good ground, you're going to reap in, in, in your life. How? If you sow in a seed that is somebody else's farm, you don't go home and find it in your farm. But we come up with all kind of stuff of lies and manipulation to make you feel that you should give because the only way you're going to give in abundance is if we tell you that you got something that you can gain from it. Rather than addressing the idea that believers are not supposed to ever give with that in mind, but are supposed to give because they see a need. If you sow a seed in my field, there will be seeds in my field. Yeah. <laughs> you sow in this good ground so that you can have fruit where? In this good ground. Regardless of whether you see it in your house or not. 
See how twisted we got this stuff? And rather than pastors correcting the appropriate mindset of Christians and believers, they feed into it because trying to correct it is too hard, too tedious, and nobody wants to hear it. But in this house, if you don't want to hear it, there is the Because I decided a long time ago, when we started this church, this church was going to be real. Authentically Christians. And everything that every Christian of old showed us to be lived is what we're trying to live. Right? Not our worldly connection of the two things brought together. No. Not at all. By his spirit. That's it. The way his word says, the way witnesses and testimonies prove that we should live. Like the first apostles. Oh, duh. I don't think Paul was like, you know what, I would help them out, but I ain't helping them Negroes out. Every time I help them out, I get thrown into prison. No. He just kept doing it. And made a list of all the tragedies that befalled him, right? And then he said, but it was all good because I had a chance to sow into your... The man saw the consequences of what he was doing, that he bore the pain of trying to be there for someone else. Do you hear what I'm telling you? It wasn't like he did it and God said, oh, you won't have to get whipped today. No, it wasn't like he sold and said, oh, you won't have to get shipwrecked today. You won't have to get your property stolen today. No, he did exactly what God told him to do, and he still had to endure some of the pain. You thought that if you give to the house of God, that somehow you won't have to experience any pain. That is manipulation, and God will not be manipulated. You have to give sincerely. And there's enough motivation for you to give sincerely. You got a pastor that ain't lying. She is what she says she is. And too many people can attest that what she live 24-7. You got a house that's relatively comfortable, you know, keeps you protected from the elements. You got good food that people can cook like Minister Hudson. Dishing out the word on Sunday school, then coming back and dishing out good food in case we ever needed something to eat. And for a whole year, that's exactly what he did the year Mother Hudson passed. He fed us all. Because we all needed fellowship to heal and to recover. We would like to do the same thing here, but too many selfish, stingy people. (laughs) You've got motivation to give all that you have for a cause that is so much greater than you. And you see how you fit in and you still won't do it. I should not have to tell you that God going to bless your household. Unlike other deities, God is not trying to be appeased. He offered a way for his people's sin to be covered so that they could approach him. What you just did took you out of a realm that God dwells in. But I don't want to lose that. Just put this on and then come closer. It was a mercy that it was extended through the law and then through Christ that we did not deserve. Because even with the law, the sins just got worse. It just kept multiplying and multiplying and people would then just give offerings, but their whole heart wasn't changed. And that's what David meant when he said, an offering of sheep and goat you do not desire, but a broken heart and a contrite spirit. He says that you won't turn away. He says we've got it mixed up. We give us sacrifices thinking that's what he wanted, but he wanted us to give it with our heart aligned 
with that offering. That the truth of how you feel is not detached from that. When Paul wrote that in Psalms 51, it was one of our key scriptures, put it in your notes. When he wrote that, it was after he fell with Bathsheba and killed her husband. And he recognized, if you just wanted me to slaughter some animals, I could do that. But I know that's not what you want. You want my heart to agree with the offering that I'm giving you. The reason why you're selfish and stingy about your God's money in this house is because you refuse to let your heart actually take in everything that the Lord is trying to serve you up in this house. Because you're afraid to have responsibility and obligation. Like somehow obligation is some profane word. You are obligated to us, to one another, to do your part, to lift your load, to lift somebody else's. Going to work all these days and don't even bring nothing to the house of the Lord. You ought to be shamed. But because of God's grace and mercy, <laughs> he blots away all your transgressions. I know it's hot. It's going to get hotter. Never in the history of this church have I ever taught on money, preached on money on a Sunday morning. A Wednesday or Thursday discipleship class or a workshop, but never on a Sunday. Does that make sense? If it wasn't for this topic of sacrifice, I wouldn't even be over here on this. I would have just fussed at you before tithes and offerings. Amen. What I need you to do for those of us that deal with selfishness and stinginess. <clears throat> I need you to ask the Lord to change your heart because you can't do it. And no matter how much good he brings to your life, it's never enough. So in this message, you need to ask the spirit of the Lord to change my heart because I know it's not right and I don't want to be like this. I am too selfish and I am too stingy. Help me be obedient to the things that you tell me to be. Malachi says, will a man rob God? Says, yet you have robbed me. How have you robbed me? In tithes and offerings. We know the tithe is a 10%, but he, he says, I know God put something on your heart to give. Above and beyond that. Yeah. And you just ignored it. I'm, I'm, just, I'm not even. I'm not, I'm just, let me just. It's too late. I'm already in it. This is how it works. <laughs> I'm skipping ahead, but this is how it works. First, it starts with a prompting. The Lord prompts you to do something, to give something. And then you get excited. Ooh, Lord, is that what you want me to do? Ah, that's crazy. It's insane. I can't do that. Oh, man. But what if? It's like Christians don't even get excited anymore about being used by God. Like if you're not getting the limelight of it, if you're not in the spotlight, then being used by God with whatever you have in your bank account don't even excite you anymore. Like you have something that's in your account and then you hear of a need at your church. God, I'm so glad I got something to give versus, is that really what you couldn't want me to do that? Because technically once I pay this, then I pay that. You have blown your budget and not paid bills for far less reasons. 
to go to some concert, to get some new shoes, to buy a new phone, to get extra bundles, to buy a new belt, to have a new wallet, to get a new chain, to get some new earrings. You've blown your budget on some special dinner because you just needed a break on a facial and a spa treatment. You've blown your budget on all kinds of stuff, on new shoes that the kid barely needs, but it is his birthday. You've blown your money on stuff. But when it comes to God prompting your heart, now all of a sudden we go from prompting to exciting to doubtful and afraid. After you get excited, then fear kicks in. You are really excited, like, oh, man, I think God just spoke to my heart. Then it was like, hold on, wait a minute. If I give this, then I won't have this. And there's no guarantee that I will, I will get this back. There's no guarantee that my rent still will get paid. There's no guarantee on any of this. Do you hear yourself, dear, dear children? Yeah. You didn't get saved for guarantees of a pleasant life here. You got saved because you knew that this stuff is some slop and everybody needs Jesus to make it and I'm going to show them Jesus on my way out of the slums. Yeah. Once you start getting excited, then fear sets in. When fear sets in, then logic comes after fear. Yeah. And after logic comes in, then there's doubt. Doubt that you really heard him. Now, now hear me. This is, this is truly satanic. You think that the Lord, as merciful as he is, will tell you to give something above what you think you could handle, but you have it. And he's going to be like, ha ha, I didn't tell you to do that. Die. Suffer. As mercy, he died when we were yet sinners. Do you think if you tried to do too much for the Lord that he's going to punish you for trying to do too much? No. Maybe I didn't hear him right. You know, I want to make sure I hear him. Do you now? You want to make sure you hear him on this? Yeah. One trying to make sure you hear him in the bed. Oh, now. I make sure I hear him now. Make sure I hear the Lord now. Before I, you know, you want to try to hear him with the weed. Oh, let me make sure I hear him now. Now, on this, you're so cautious. Now, on this, you want to be an upstanding citizen, one of balance and budget on this. Can't you see that that is a selfish desire that is taking over your soul? Can't you use your own logic to see your own faults, your own flaws? There are things we do because we know our own weaknesses. I was talking to Kaya, and I was... You know, thanking the Lord. It's okay, baby. I was thanking the Lord, you know, for how he likes to cook for the family. I said, but you got to clean them dishes after you cook. And I said, I told, he didn't even tell me this. I told him, I said, I know what happened. You, you cook, you get excited, you eat, then you get real sleepy and tired. And you tell yourself, I'm going to go back to it in a minute. I'm going to get it in a minute, in a minute, in a minute. And before you know it, your mama came home and, you ain't cleaning these dishes. See, and it's all out. I said, the trick is, once you get done cooking, before you even eat, you clean it up. You can start putting food away in pots and just bowls. Just, it's still hot. Can't put it in the refrigerator, but it's in a bowl. Put the dishes in the dishwasher. Everything is set up. All I got is my bowl and my spoon. And then you're done. If you know that that's the problem, why don't you work against your own weaknesses? Quit trying to convince yourself that I'm not going to do it this time. If it's a pattern, more than likely you will do it. So when people say, I didn't mean to do that, I say you did not mean not to do it. You knew you had the, pro the proclivity, but you didn't do anything to make sure that you didn't do it. Yeah. Where's that at? 
Where's the idea to make sure I don't spend God's money? The idea that I'm going to make sure I put it aside. Give it as soon as I got it. Where's that idea? Where is your method to make sure that you don't rob God and the rest of your church family that you say you love so much with your pastor sweating in a budget meeting about money we don't have and 300 negative, 300 plus money in the account and mortgage, mine, unpaid because my money went in this account because we used some of that money to go to retreat. I'm glad your rent's paid. You know, that's all that really matters. And how embarrassed would y'all be truly if your pastor got evicted? How embarrassed would you be truly if they came and picked up my car? Pastor, you should have said something. You should have said something. You should have said something. I know you think I wouldn't be that embarrassed. Yes, you would. Because one day I didn't even get my nails done. And somebody came to me and said, Pastor, here go $20. You, let me get, let me get your nails done. I said, what? I'm out here working. I'm busy. I had time to get my nails done. I had the money. Just didn't have time. To, mm-mm, mm-mm, you can't be showing up looking like that. Because at the end of the day, this is Atlanta. It's Atlanta. Everything I do, I do used, old, and cheap, and a good deal. Just so we can look like. We, we built this. We designed this. We couldn't pay nobody else. But we put in what money we had, and we put in the labor to make sure that at the end of the day, when somebody walks through that door, they don't go, now, this is a crazy-looking church. Hello? How many people want to drive a luxury car someday in your life, like own it? Yeah? Put your hands down. How crunchy would it be if you got a luxury car and I'm sitting here in a Pinto? No. Uh-uh. You be like, oh, she worked for the Lord. Yay. Not to say that y'all pay me for what I pay for my car. Because you don't. You don't pay my car note. None of it. Hello? You weren't paying my mortgage till they did another <laughs> pastor's hopeful housing stipend. <laughs> hopeful. Sister Glenda, the finance team said, well, pastor, if, the, if the, everybody get a commitment like they said, you should be straight. Yeah. 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 I said most of them people stood up because I was watching them, <laughs> which is why I showed up when she made the announcement. I could have sat in my office. Oh, do a, a, a poverty announcement for the pastor. Pastor's poor. Can we help make sure that she has a place to live? And I just be in my office, shame. I ain't shame. I need to see your faces. No, deal with this look. Deal with it. I love you, Pastor. I love you so much. <laughs> pastor, I, I made you. I made you a picture. I don't want no picture. I saw this cross and I thought of you, so I bought it. I don't want no cross. Don't buy me no cross. Don't buy me no angels. Don't buy me no knickknacks, no bric-a-bracks. I don't want nothing that's symbolic. I don't want none of that. What I want is money. Because money takes care of my needs and yours. So much of my money goes right back to you. 
you don't even know how many times my bill, my, my utilities is off. How many times my rent or mortgage now didn't get paid. You don't even know. And you'll never know, except for this one time that I told you. But if you ever asked for something, I never wavered. Big stuff and small stuff. If that's what you say you need it, and I know you need it, I'm going to find a way. Yes, you need to see my face. Yeah, see it. So I can see who ain't stand up. But I said most of that ain't even going to get done. Close to 50% was just for show. <clears throat> but I don't mind holding you accountable to the love that you say you have. I do. Because if love doesn't motivate you, you are the devil. Get behind me, Satan. Because love motivates you to sin. But love can't motivate you to bless. <clears throat> Let's move on to wherever I was at. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, are you there? Verses 1 through 2. I appeal to you. I'm begging you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Working from the bottom up in this verse, it explains that in order for us to know what is the will of God, our minds have to be renewed. You don't know if something is the will of God if you still think the way you've always thought. You have to be transformed in your logic. There's certain things about giving that are just logical to me. There's certain things about God that are logical. Because they are true. Just because it's spiritual doesn't mean it's not true. Yeah. If it's spiritual, it means it is more true than anything else that we see in the physical. Do you know that every atom of your body is 90% empty space? Every atom of your physical body is 90% empty space. This means you are barely here. You are less real than, than the spirit. Where you live and all of this is less real than, than the actual spirit you possess because what you have is mostly air, strategically compiled to give your senses the understanding in this time, space, dimension that you exist. So what you're perceiving is light refracting off of empty space more than anything else. What you do in the spirit is more real than the chair you're sitting on. It's more real than that. The thing about your spirit and the stuff that you're made of, see, when it comes to the things of the Lord in this verse, it says there's something about us being living sacrifices. Now, when they, when, they, when they hear this word, they're looking at Christ as the Lamb of God. And he was a dying sacrifice, like he died as a sacrifice. Then they're telling us we should live 
like we're dying. And dead people don't want nothing. Dead people don't own anything. They're just vessels that just, it just passes right through you. The more you recognize that, the happier and less stressed you will be. The only way I could make it through with this kind of financial problem is to recognize, at the end of the day, just the Lord's church. If he wanted to stay open, he's going to have to move somebody. I personally wanted it to be you so that you could move up in income status. Amen. That you'd finally be able to have some peace and stop worrying about all your financial problems. There's only one way to get that, and that is to trust God. And you don't trust God if you don't trust God. I'm tired of watching you have an attitude and a disposition and fall back into sin and backslide, all because at the end of the day, you just don't have enough money. Now all your life is miserable because you're broke. I'm tired of that. I can't guarantee you're going to ever be wealthy, but I can guarantee through Christ you could have peace, joy. Hello, somebody, which is what you really want. I'll take a shack with joy than a doggone mansion with evil and depression. So it ain't the money that's just really the problem. The problem is your perspective, your mindset, and that needs to be renewed according to the last verse. The Bible says that the love of money is what? The root of all evil. Between rich people and poor people, who love money more? Poor. Because a poor person is always thinking about how to get money. Most love of money comes from poor people. Think about it. When we had rough times, all we thought about, man, one day I'm going to own this. All I hear in my car every day, one day I'm going to get a car like this. One day it's going to be a car like that. Oh, I had a car like this. Can't wait till I get a car. I mean, just constant, constant, constant. I'm glad he knows what is out there for him to attain. But poverty will make you focus on everything that you don't have. It's nothing but deception. And no, most of you can't even enjoy what you do have for worrying about how you don't have what you think you should have. Number one, my first Benz, this is my second in Jesus' name. I never even thought I could get a car like that. I went in because my dream car was a Lincoln. And Glenda bought it for herself. My dream car. She was driving to church in my dream car. Can you imagine? I tell, I tell my members, that's my dream car. One day, I just want to, you know, I ain't going to be no big flashy pastor. Just give me a nice little Lincoln MKX, you know. It's comfortable. Have back problems. I just want something to ride smooth, you know. And then Glenda, beep, beep, pastor, can you come look at this car that I think the Lord want me to buy? And she bought it. Wow. All I'm poor tinking, tinking around. She over there in that Lincoln. But I tell you, she's one of the biggest givers in this house. Always has been. And I pray always will. So I'll humble down and be like, you deserve it, baby. You deserve it. You deserve it. It's not the money that you need. It's a transformation of your mindset. Do you know that rich people can smell your desperation? Your insecurity? 
When your mindset is changed and you're grateful for whatever you do have, that desperate feeling is far from you. Because nothing makes people more uncomfortable than being around somebody that they think is always trying to get something from them. Right. And when you have that type of desperation, that's what people think. You're trying to get close so you can get something from them. You're trying to get this so you can, you know, just constant, constant, constant. And maybe you're not, but you take it if you could. Because your eyes just look so... Help me, I'm poor. Versus recognizing that in Christ you have been learned to be content yeah. when you have and when you don't have. Right. Paul said, I learned both times. You would think that that's not necessary. You got to learn how to live for God, for God when you have. Yeah. And some of y'all that have, you did not learn that. And then you have to learn how to live for God when you don't have. Both ways are exactly the same. But you think that it's different because you tell yourself, when I make more money, I'll give more. That's a lie. When you make more money, you'll just withhold more. Because your pattern for giving according to the proportion that you have is already established. And it's not going to change because you got more money. If you're a 20% giver, you're going to get that 20% with millions. If you're a 50%, I got people that give virtually 60% of their income. Started with nothing. Now they got more than enough. Now what they gave is what they're making, plus some. Yeah. And the God's going to keep blessing because of their mindset. And number one, I pray a lot. <laughs> Hello? I pray for every person that says they need a job. I pray for, everybody, pray for everybody that says they need a promotion, especially the ones that I know give. When Coco was in the uh, championship game, I knew she was going to win because you'll need money. And I had already prayed. That's a done deal. Hello? And slowly her business is crawling out of the hole that it fell in temporarily, yeah. as it should. Amen. It don't mean she didn't have rough times. It just meant that somebody in her life was unmoved by her rough time because somebody said, it's going to be all right. Yeah. And could make sure she knew it in hopes that she didn't change or waver. And who God is. But I stopped praying for selfish people. Oh, Pastor, can you help me get the job? Can you make sure I pray? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I pray for you, but not as fervently. Amen? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> what? I pray that you get all your needs met. But I'm not praying that you get an abundance. <laughs> Think I'm crazy? If I got a limited amount of times of prayer, because time is a, is a commodity for me, I'm going to pray hard for the people that I know that give more huh, than the people. You're going to get it. Lord, please bless that person with a job in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, please bless that person with a job in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, please. But people that I know give, Lord, you need to bless Briera with the kind of job, Lord, that really, and, and Jesus, I mean, I'm hard in that. That makes sense, doesn't it? Because I know whatever she gets is going to come back to this house. Amen. As it should. God is not mocked. Yeah. Whatever you sow, you'll reap. reap. Did you hear that? That's scripture. <laughs> this verse in, 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 in Romans, it, it reveals the idea that there is a temptation to be acclimated to sin and death. Have you ever noticed that in the summertime, 
when the temperatures drop to like 65, 69, you be like, ooh, it's cold out here, right? But in the summer, yeah, in the winter, no, in the summer when it drops to 69, it's cold. But in the winter, when it warms up to 69, you be like, ooh, what am I, I need the t-shirt on, I take the sweatshirt off. <laughs> Same 69. I know because I wash my thermostat, okay? In the summer, I like it 79 degrees. But for some reason, in the winter, it need to be a good 73, okay? It is too cold in this house. The reason is because in the summer, you got acclimated to the heat. In the winter, you got acclimated to the cold. So now the smallest adjustment in that temperature, you're greatly affected by it. Sin is the same way in the world. And this verse is trying to show that if you're not careful, you will be acclimated to the idea that sin and death are normal. Like the purposes of sacrifices was to constantly remind Israel that this sin stuff and this death is not normal. It's not how it should be. It's not right. It's against the kind of thing that God wants to do. That sin is not normal, but somehow we made the doggone sacrifice just another religious procedure. Somehow we made coming to church just another religious procedure rather than a, recogn a recognition that somehow this place is sacred and holy and it is different than out there and should be. But the lack of holiness and righteous living from the leaders, the idea that it's a business and not an actual church has warped the mind that when people come in, this is nothing but an organization. That's why people wear suits and that's why I stopped wearing them. Preachers started wearing suits to preach in because everybody wanted to make sure that they looked like they were educated and smart. And somehow the preaching role became a sign of, 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 of not being educated in ignorance. So, you, so now church is being run like a business. And you can't understand why the body of Christ looks the way it looks. These little glittery robes. <laughs> Number one, the church like these. I did not pick these. But all I wanted was something that was fully covered and I didn't want a suit. So you don't ever forget when you walk in this house, this is not a business. This is a place of holiness. The altar is holy. The mic is holy because it's consecrated unto the Lord. Yeah. This space is holy because it is set apart for the Lord. Yeah. But because you're so tired of religion, you think that you can't have respect for a holy place and a holy mic and a holy office and a holy garment. But something that is consecrated and dedicated to the Lord should be treated as such. Yeah. You ain't given to a charitable organization. You're given to the house of God. It's different. That's what's wrong with the church. One of the multiple reasons is that it becomes a business rather than in a place where a shepherd actually shepherds members directly. Yeah. Like shepherds your life. Where are you going? No, go back over there. Uh -uh. No, mm -mm. Mm -mm. All right, you go over there. You're going, well, see, told you. Now you fell in the creek. Let me go get you. You know, it's actually supposed to be that, like a real flock and a real shepherd. Not some, I'm going to throw out this motivational speech. Catch it. <laughs> use it if you can. No, I'm supposed to come back on Wednesday night and check. Did you use it? Uh -huh, uh -huh. Did you use that word? Uh -huh. What did you get on Sunday after when we got done at church? What did you get from the word? What did you hear? What did the Lord say? This is a method of shepherding. To make sure you're not just sitting in here, just minding your own, just drifting off. But I might ask you, what did you get from the message today? And please know. 
I know whether you were listening or not. I just don't say nothing. Try to give you some dignity. But Romans 12 is telling us that we can be acclimated to worldliness and that the system of the world can start trying to make us feel comfortable. Like sin and death is normal. Like, oh, what did I do? Just sinned. I'll just ask the Lord to forgive me. You know, everybody sins. Everybody falls short from the glory of God. A saint ain't nothing but a sinner that got up. No, a saint is uniquely different than a sinner that got up. That is why they're a saint. They stopped getting down and just stayed up. You don't get saint status until you just stay up. St. Paul, St. Timothy, you understand? They stayed up. St. Paul was like, you know, and then he got caught in adultery. What? See, that never, that. Now we saw it in the Old Testament, but the promise is that you have the spirit of God that will assist you in living holy should you submit. It's uniquely different. What you thought you couldn't do, if you really want to do it in God, you'll be able to do it. We're just waiting on you to want it bad enough. There is no sin that actually has you chained up, but the ones you want. Not one. There is no mindset that actually has you locked down, but the mindset you want to keep. Not one. Not with the spirit of the Lord in you. That's what the power that Paul was talking about. Power to live right. They was already casting out demons. Power to stand for Christ even in the midst of death itself. So I'm sure you could stand for Christ in the midst of temptation because he got good muscles. Because she got a fat bottom. Ooh. You make a mockery of the spirit of the Lord. Your lifestyle will tell other people that need Christ that there's no power in our God. Because even those that say they love him They're powerless against Satan like the rest of us. You gonna let Satan think that he is winning? How could you? He's not winning. Quit being a traitor. Get on this side and stay on this side. I'm putting it all together, sin, giving, all of them, put it all together. It's all a part of the sacrifices we make as believers. The sacrifices of, the, of lamb, sheep, and goat, and the sacrifices of a Christian in the New Testament through the sacrifice of Christ was supposed to push against the worldly acclamation. It's supposed to say the world is trying to make us comfortable in sin and death and ain't nobody perfect and everybody needs something sometimes. It tries to make you very comfortable in this and the idea of the spirit of the Lord and our earthly sacrifices pushes against that. It says, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, I will never be okay with this. I'm not going to be okay with lying. I'm not going to be okay with being, being lustful. I'm not going to be okay with that. When we were at the retreat, I was talking to a couple of the men folk, and I said, you know, the world has raised an, generations of men. The world has raised generations of men to believe that somehow they can never control their urges. Yeah. It told the women, you better control your urges. Don't, don't chase nobody. Don't be out there having sex. But told the men, get out there and get some sex. Because yeah. it's just natural. You ain't going to be able to control that. 
Where is that in the Bible? The ability for a human being not to control their earth urges physically means that they are an animal. Because no, there's no intrinsic thing that is stopping you from behaving like an animal. Yeah. So what you, now you're just a goat. And not the greatest, just the baddest. What separates you from the dog? You got to be trained. I got to tell you going to do something bad or not give you a treat in order for you to live right. You're not supposed to be trained. You're supposed to be what? Transformed. I said, there's a lie from the pits of hell and nobody is challenging it. But slowly but surely, more men are living holy. It ain't going to be so odd. Like, what's wrong with him? Uh, he's human and not a beast. Oh, there go gazelle. No, you ain't got to bite every gazelle that's passing by. I love that baby fat. No, put the, put the baby fat down. Get it out your mouth. You ain't got to think about that all the time. Because you're perverse. You only see people for what they can do for you. Before you actually know her name, you're thinking about her butt. That don't make no sense. You're dehumanizing your own sisters in Christ. Oh, she can't be a, a woman called of God with purpose and destiny. No, she just got to be a fat butt. She, she got a tight shape. If somebody did that to your sister, you'd be ready to fight. That is your sister. If in some weird way she ever becomes a wife, it ain't the day. She definitely your sister today. <laughs> women the same way. That's why you had to put a ban on all gray sweatpants. Church women losing their mind. They did. I had to have a whole conversation. I had to tell men, don't you wear them. The Lord has blessed you, man of God. I had, to tell, I had to tell a couple of men, stop wearing that. Making the, the women, if men tell us to stop wearing stuff all the time, making us go crazy. Look at them, look at them. Pastor, do, do, don't you, oh, now you really crazy. I'm going to look. I, that's my baby boy. He ain't a baby. Oh, he's a baby. Everything about my men, sheep is baby boy. They sweet, they nice, they kind. You was a chicken head, get away. Little baby chest. <laughs> in my mind, all the men in this house have little baby boy chests. Like, oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> Amen? Amen. The brothers should be brothers. The sisters should be sisters. Amen. We'll know if a sister or brother become more. It ain't the day. It ain't the day. It ain't. How many people ready to get married? Let me see your hand. Exactly. See? You already know you ain't ready. You already know. Ain't nobody raising hand like, mm-mm. Now you might tell your friend you want to get married, but I ain't saying that in front of the pastor. You know I'm going to blow up your spot. I'm going to blow up your spot. I, t I, I said I was ready to get married, girl. No, you, uh-uh. You ain't raised your hand. Mm -mm -mm. Pastor know my life. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. So this means everybody sees everybody as brothers and sisters. This is your reasonable sacrifice.
You can see how the world is pressing in on the church. Causing you to think and act in ways that were never a part of Christianity. Not true Christianity. Some of you guys are no longer babes in Christ. You're mature. But I got to teach you like a child all over again. Like, what are you doing? What are you saying? How are you thinking? Change that. What's wrong with you? You're making me uncomfortable. Certain jokes and things that you say, uh uh-uh. That makes me uncomfortable. Go. Get away from me. And I will tell you that. Because it's out of order. And some things start as very innocent little jokes that you had back in Egypt. And they become very deep-rooted. I've seen so many of you fall from ignoring something that I told you to stop playing with. I pulled you aside and said, hey, you shouldn't be talking about that. Hey, you don't need to be thinking like that. Hey, that's a bit much. That's a little crass. All right? You need to pull that in, reel that in. Now you confused. I don't know why I sinned. It's up here in your mindset. Your mind has to be renewed. Hello? Hebrews 13, 15. Through him, let, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The sacrifice of praise from your mouth, the sacrifices of doing good and sharing what you have. These are all pleasing to him. What I love about this particular verse is like we know that Jesus is Jesus, right? We know that he's the Messiah. We know that he's God. Paul is telling them that this type of praise is not just when we sing songs. It's that he wants you to be able to say, you know, the Messiah Praise be his name is Jesus. They have to declare that the one that everybody thought wasn't the Messiah is the Messiah. The one that everybody thought wasn't God is God. That is the purpose of your praise. To declare that when people are doubting if Jesus is God, that he is God. That's the purpose of it. It's not just to sing songs in here. It's out there when you get a flat tire and you still declare that God is Jesus is the Lord. It's out there when you get a bad report and you still declare that Jesus is Lord. That's where you have to say it amongst your friends while they're rolling up a joint and you said you want to go smoke no more. And they say, why you ain't smoking? You're going to say, because Jesus is Lord. That's where it's supposed to be declared because somebody is rolling up a joint because they need a sense of peace and you have the Prince of Peace as your Savior and you decide to do the same thing as them without declaring that he is Lord. This math ain't mathing. At some point, you are going to become what you do. You become it. You become a hypocrite. One way here, one way, another way there. That's what happens. That's exactly what happens. You don't want to be that. And nobody chooses to be a hypocrite as a believer. They just get stuck in the struggle. Real believers don't choose it. They just get stuck. If you want to get unstuck, you have to do drastic things. You can't do inches in order to get unstuck. you got to leap, jump, walk on water. you got to get this out of your head. 
go really like this hard in the paint. Just go. Just go for all you know. Make sense? You really got to push it when you recognize that I'm being a hypocrite. And don't tell me you don't. You know you are. You, are, you have an obligation to us to stop. You have an obligation to this church to stop, to the body of Christ to stop, to me as your pastor to stop. You are obligated to stop. And if you don't like that kind of pressure, good. Something's going to break. The Bible says that if you can't stop and you can't admit that you want to stop these things, that we're supposed to give you over to the world and Satan anyway. So the amount of pressure I'm putting on you to live right makes it too hard for you to live right and it's too much pressure, good. Bye. Go. We'll pray for you for here, from here. We'll pray for you. That's it. That's all we could do. But I can't let you sit in here and continue to sin Amen. and call yourself a Christian. Amen. The Bible says I'm supposed to say, hey, stop saying you're a Christian. No, just say you, you're working on something. <laughs> say you're exploring religions. But don't get baptized and don't call yourself a Christian. There's a way to live here. There's a way that we live in our daily lives as a sacrifice to the Lord. That's giving of ourselves. That's giving of everything we have that seeks him honestly, hopefully. There's a way to live. And this little mishmash thing that y'all be doing, it never fit here. And you'll always feel like the outsider here. But that's your choosing. I'll accept you. Just stop calling yourself a Christian. Oh, that means don't take communion. Mm -mm. You ain't about that life. Will you live for Jesus? No. Will you die for Jesus? Barely. Don't take communion. Let me tell you something about the sacrifices. Uh, one pastor put it this way. He said, God is like the sun. The S. UN son. And when we sinned, God wanted to be with us. But that's like the son trying to be your neighbor. The holiness of God is like the SUN son. And he want to come down and be a neighbor with you. What do you ha! 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 It's not gonna work. You're gonna burn up. It's no way you can stand the heat. It's no way you can stand the heat. God's holiness is like the sun. If you look upon his face, you will surely crisp up. <laughs> Ashes. In the book of Genesis, when they ate of the tree, God put two angels with what? Flaming swords. This means that if you had to get to the tree of life, first you had to be cut up into pieces and burned. Then we see that sacrifices on the altar had to be cut up in pieces and burned. And that burning turned those sacrifices into smoke. And that smoke ascended into the nostrils of God, and he found it a sweet savor. That's exactly what's supposed to happen when we die. Our flesh goes into the ground, and our spirit rises unto the Lord because of Christ's blood that went through the fire and the swords and covers us. You mean to tell me you're going to wear the body of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to go smoke dope? You're going to just walk in with your, with your Jesus suit on, all his blood just dripping all over you. 
and you, you gonna just go ahead and just have sex. Just what you think? You gonna take it off? Hold on, let me put down my Jesus. Hold on. That was just my shirt. I, mean, I gotta get the Jesus off first. You, you can't get it off. Not if you're a real believer. You end up crying and feeling like crap. Because you're not supposed to take it off. And the minute you can, the minute you're going to hell. Never will say, you can't take Jesus off. Put him on, take him off. That's not how it works. Hebrews 13, 15. All right, praise the Lord. You, do, you share what you have and you do good. These are sacrifices. Biblical sacrifice is a biblical sacrifice is one. This is a definition that pleases God. A biblical sacrifice is one that pleases God. It is a sacrifice that chooses what is best for the greater good, which is the advancement of the kingdom of God and God's purposes rather than our own. A biblical sacrifice is one that pleases God. It is a sacrifice that chooses what is best for the greater good, namely the advancement of God's kingdom and his purposes over our own. I know you want to pay that bill. I know you want that money. I know you want that relationship. But at the end of the day, you're supposed to be a living sacrifice. And what you're concerned more about is how does this affect the body of Christ? How does this affect the expansion of his kingdom? And if it does not aid in that, you need to cut it. That's your determining factor. I'm sacrificing. I'm going, I told the Lord, I only need a healthy body to do your work. That's it. Oh, you need a healthy body because you're afraid to die? I don't need a healthy body to do the work of the Lord. I need a healthy body to serve. And in my experiences, I have to serve with an unhealthy body. You don't need a healthy body so you can get married and be fine. He shouldn't be wanting all of that anyway. It should be your insides. At least he get to know that part first before he know the outer part. And please believe, men and women, all the outer parts change. Better pick somebody you actually like, not somebody you think is fine. You got to like being with that person. Like enjoy it. And that's different than just enjoying it for what it could be. Early in my relationship, I, did, I just always thought about how we could get married, how we could get married, how we could get married, and didn't really care about the relationship too tough other than where it was going. Then one day I realized, I don't really know if I like you. I only like where I think we're going. So that's been years, oh, let me back up. I just spent years and go, now do I really like you? Okay, I like that. And it's, I, I forced myself to stop thinking of just the future and see him as a real person. I know you think you do that, you do not. You only see people as what they can bring to you. How they can add to your life, not take away. How you can see that, you know, she's going to be a good wife and she'll do this and she'll, you know, we, I can see us now with men have the same amount of fantasies as girls. We're going to have a you know, baby and a son, we're going to have a dog, going to get a golden retriever, it's going to be real nice. And it's just, just all you see. But you never really knew the person. Marriages require at some point, you're going to have to really know that person. You're going to have to decide, some days, I hate you. 
hate everything about you. I don't even know why I married you. I don't like any, I don't like the way you breathe. You know, that's going to come. Then you're going to remember, I do. Amen? Yeah. Tough, yes? It starts with really recognizing um, as a living sacrifice, people are people. They're not just here for your use. Amen? Sacrifice is a right or an act of division, but it's also an act of reunion. While in the sacrifice, it wasn't done until you cut up the pieces. First, you, you killed the animal, drained the blood, right? Took, took the blood outside of the camp after you sprinkled it on things. Then you had to cut up the pieces of the animal in such a way and then lay them on the altar. And some of those sacrifices, you were told to eat it. Either you ate it or the priest ate it. I mean, it was nothing but barbecue. Y'all look like, ugh, they're barbecue. The barbecue's good old barbecue lamb. Just good old rack of lamb right there. Just good eating, right? Pour a little bit of pigeon. Take that little pigeon. Mm-hmm. There you go, right? But the idea of the eating is that while the sin and the sacrifice separated you, God always wanted you to come back together and not just be with you. He wanted to eat and fellowship with you. He didn't just want you in his face like, should I do this? Should I go there? Should I get this job? What should I do? He wanted to fellowship with you, to eat and to talk and to know one another, to be with you in a very intimate way, not just be your magic genie. That was the purpose of all of the sacrifices. That was the purpose for his son. So y'all could know each other and find that you actually do love one another. And you're just making it about what he could do for you. Can you pay my bills? Can you? The whole song. That's not right. Hello? Let's move on. Yes and amen. So when Adam wanted to re-enter, he had to pass through the burning uh, flame, two flaming swords. Christ was on the cross, and he bore the experiences of death. He came into this realm. Do you know how big that is? For Jesus to come into a realm of death, God Almighty to come in this realm in order to be with us. He want to be with you so bad, he'll come into prison and sup with you into a place of torment, the same place you're in. That's how bad he wanted you. If that love does not motivate you to be a living sacrifice, something is wrong with your heart. It's wrong with your heart. All of what you do for the Lord in terms of a sacrifice, this is the problem, is that most times when you hear sacrifice, you get all fearful because you're always so afraid of losing something. And the fear of losing just grips you way too much. It's because you have never praised God enough for all that he did do. When you see how much you get every single time, you actually acknowledge it rather than being so greedy that you got to think about the next thing. You can actually enjoy what you do have. Then it makes a whole lot easier to enjoy his presence. To sacrifice. Good parents do not have a hard time sacrificing for their kids. It's just second nature, like breathing. Don't even think about it. Like, oh, that's, you went to a parent and said, oh, that's so nice you sacrificed that for your kid. They'd be like, what the heck is wrong with you? By definition, this is my kid. By definition, this encompasses every ounce of this without wavering. Good parents know that. They don't tell the kid, see, that's why I don't like doing stuff for you. No. No, they be like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it whether I like you and whether I don't like you. I'm going to do what I like what you did or what I don't like what you did because you're my child. It may not resonate that way to you with your selfishness as a child, but that is exactly what motivates the parent. 
Same thing with the father. He wants to be with you. And if you love him, then sacrificing things is just a no-brainer. When we were at the retreat, I'd have to ask the Lord, do you want me to do this? Uh, duh. It was a no-brainer. I'd have to repray, God, do you still want me to do the baptism? Without a shot of a doubt, that is, un- that is not even a question I have to ask. The question is, can you, are you going to get me to a point physically when I can actually do this? And when he didn't, then my father and the men, of, and men in the house, they stepped in and became a covering for me. So we can work together as a team in our own calling, in our own ways to do exactly. That's the body of Christ, working people. But it doesn't mean it's, it's just because he lifts something from you. And when you realize that's what you want, regardless of the pain, that's love. That thing, that intrinsic thing is what works in his kingdom. It's the thing that separated the two realms. One realm was self-serving and one realm was self-giving. And they do not mix like oil and water. If you want to go into the self-giving realm, then you have to present something of self to give. Which is why they offer sacrifices. This is mine. I'm giving it to you. That gives you a covering to cross into the other realm where people give. If you don't give like that, then, or self-sacrifice of anything, then you're always stuck in the realm of death, where you only get what you get. You only get what you make. You get what you do. You, what are you, a doctor? Then you're a doctor. That's, what, that's it. That's all. You, you, you do lawns, and you're a lawn manicurist. That's it. That's all you are. That's, that's the whole realm over here. It's different on the other side. Amen? Amen? I think I'm pretty much done here. I wish I had a wonderful conclusion for you. Some of the major points that we took away today. One, Jesus modeled for us a life of sacrifice. Two, sacrifices yield eternal rewards. The more we sacrifice, the more we are drawn to heaven. The more we sacrifice, the more we are drawn to heaven. People that come to my house, they often are baffled by the idea that I have a a calendar that counts how many weeks I have to the day I die, roughly. Estimated about 88 years. And I like to go in and fill in each dot after each week. And I'm halfway done, right? Number one, it's sobering. Number two, I see my finish line as a wonderful reward. And most people couldn't understand that until you recognize when you sacrifice, you are drawn to heaven. When your life becomes a life of nothing but giving, heaven is a wonderful reward. I didn't say pain. I said giving. You can have a life of pain, but that doesn't get you to heaven. Yes? The Bible says that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. If your treasure is in the bank, then your heart is here on this earth in the bank. If your treasure is in God's kingdom, then your heart is in God's kingdom. The issue of why you cannot sacrifice earthly things for the kingdom of God is because your heart is not in his kingdom. Your heart is still trying to get everything you can from this dying earth with rust, rust, rot, and decay. And you see examples that you know is going to rust, rot, and decay. 
You know no good lasts forever here. You know there's always an end of the rope here. You know at some point it was great and then, then it's going to be bad. You know these things already, but you still chain yourself to the rat race. When you've been called to live outside of that in a realm that is uniquely different through the blood of the lamb that you now wear, as you're covering so that you can be in communion with this burning hot God that would sear your eyebrows off had it not been for the sacrifice of his son, that you now live every day trying to give exactly what he gave in the same way. Give yourself. Give yourself to the kids. You give yourself to the adults. You give yourself to the homeless. You give yourself to the addicted. You give yourself to the hospitalized. You give yourself every day. You have to stop making this life about you. And so, you know, I know it ain't about me, but you just know that in passing. Like it's uh, something that happened to you versus a life that you choose for it not to be about you. Satan can't take away what you give away. Satan can't take away what you give away. I often say that people don't take advantage. I give the advantage. You're like, I don't want people to take advantage of me. I'm like, neither do I. That's why I give them the advantage. I know they're lying. I know it's, it's a fly in that milk. I know it ain't all clean. But I'm going to give the advantage as if it was. Number one, I don't have to worry about you taking it. And number two, anything that I give or sacrifice to God's kingdom, I get, I get back in another way. Yeah. Many people fear sacrificing to God due to feeling loss, the feeling of loss. When you give something to God, it leaves your hand, but not your life. When you sacrifice to God, it could leave your hand, but it will always be a, a part, an effective part of your life. But if you try to keep it in your hand, it will rot. It will be stolen. It will grow old. It will become not useful at some point. But when you give it, it always becomes a part of your life. At the end of the day, we're nothing but what people remember of us. A combination of our interactions and the way we live and the way we sacrificed. I've been to many of funerals, too many. Over, you know, officiated, too many. And I can tell you, you know when somebody was good and you know when somebody wasn't. There's always somebody up there slick with the conversation. You know, but I ain't even messed with Johnny, you know, after Johnny, you know, do the car and everything, you know, I just, we said we was going to let that go. What? <laughs> you know, my dad was pretty good, you know, except that time, you know, that time. What? I mean, everybody got problems, but, you know, the Lord still works on us, right? I mean, I mean they just throw out because at the end of the day, some people cannot hold in all the mess that you did. Because some of it you didn't reconcile before you left. But when you live a life of sacrificing, people hear it. They know it. Every person that walks up is just giving you good, good stuff. He was always there. She was always there. I will never forget this time. It's constant, constant, constant. That means everything you gave in your life is still a part of you. It's a testimony when you leave this place. Amen?